Welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis and the earliest Patty Fink, even though what she sent me her R A L L text message that stands for running a little late. <laughs> After 20 years, she shortened it a little. 21 years. Yeah, she shortened it a little bit. R A L L. Our guest in the studio for the first time in a year and four uh, months, something like that? No? At least. It, I guess a year and a six months. Uh, I think it was Feb, end of February, beginning of March was the last time we had to get it. Pretty close. Does. A long time. Long time. Yeah. Long time. Long time. First guest back First in the studio. First guest back. She's We're so here. excited to have you. She's a police officer. She's <laughs> old. So Megan Thomas. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was quite the reception, David. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'll let you explain the she's old yeah. uh, comment. Yeah. That, that just came up. Well, um, I'll, just, I'll just have you know, though, that David's much, 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 much older. Much. Than, than everybody much. in the room? Than everybody in the room. Okay. Yeah. Put together. Um, <laughs> Megan is our new LGBT liaison for the Dallas Police Department. Uh, Megan, you've been with the Dallas Police about two years? Yes, so I got on in 2018. And um, when I say you were old, you moved here from Chicago. I did. You were too old to be a police officer there. I did, and they told me that a lot. So, yes. I Who was knew that they a... could have age limits? They did. It's like 34, and then some of them are 35, and uh, they stretch it a little bit for, I think, combat war veterans. But for Not that you part... can't be a police officer older than that, but to come on new as a police officer. Correct, yes. You can do a lateral transfer, which a lot of departments are doing now, too, to save some money, I guess. But um, I wasn't a police officer previously, so I wouldn't be able to do that. And if you are a police officer in the military, it doesn't count. Because so, wow. I was a I was a master at arms in the military, but that doesn't count. Mm. Get out of here. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Federal versus state. Yeah. But it's still experience. Yeah, but it's it's completely different. They'd hire mm. you for the experience, I guess, but it's different training yeah. when you're it's dealing. Completely with... different. Training. So yeah, you'd still have to go through the, the training. Mm -hmm. So is that common throughout different police departments in the United States that there's an age limit? Yes. Okay. Um, I think my opinion mm. is that it has a lot to do with pensions mm. um, and money. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, the like when I went through the academy, my wife can attest. We, <laughs> my body, <laughs> like the amount of things you have to go through to get through the academy, my body almost gave out on me. I, I almost stopped a couple times. Okay, wow. so I have some advice on that. Hmm. Just don't participate in getting old. No. You can stop that? Yeah. Oh, I, I have me? completely decided I am not participating in this old thing because it doesn't work for me. Give me the recipe. It's delusional. I think so. Because <laughs> everybody keeps saying, oh, if you exercise and you eat well, you won't age. It's not, you know, crap, 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 crap. You're still going to age. Still bad. And I eat garbage food, so. You eat garbage yeah. food? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you out of the garbage, like a dumpster diver? No, 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 no. Just, uh, you know, stuff that you're not supposed to be eating. Oh, that's like not microwave good Microwave burritos? No, I, you know, I'm not a big Mexican food eater, but, you know, lots of sweets and things like that. Oh, okay. Well, and, I agree with that. And, it's on the Trump diet. <laughs> And do, do I... Eat a lot of sweets? I, I don't think so. Oh, a lot of junk. A lot of junk. Yeah. Came out, went in. Just saying. Out. And people look at me and they say, oh, if I ate that, I would, uh, you know, I'd be fat as a horse. And I just say, so don't eat it. <laughs> Easier said than done. Right. Yeah. That's what I think. So I eat it. <laughs> um, okay, so... It's fun having a guest in the studio again. It is. It is. Because on the phone... You can't do this the same way. It's a different dynamic when you're working with a phone guest. It is so much fun. I'm so happy that you're here, Megan. So Megan and I met, oh, we're old friends, uh, three, four weeks ago, something oh, like boy. that. Oh, boy. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Might have even been five. We did. Yeah. 
That w- that is quite a long time ago. I can't even remember when I started or what I started doing first. See? It's crazy. Because she's old. <laughs> the memory is slipping. So um, you are our new liaison to the Dallas Police Department. Let's just start off with what does a liaison do? What is, what's the idea of having this position? Well, um, my position in particular for the Dallas Police Department is... Um, you don't want to say that it's kind of hokey, but it is bridging the gap. It's, it's mm-hmm. being that person that can speak to the LGBTQ community, uh, relaying their messages to the Dallas Police Department, and also supporting um, the Dallas Police that are LGBTQ within the organization. Um, and actually doing a lot of outreach, um, helping with cases, um, mannerisms, wording, education, Um, Those are all things I dabble in Uh, day-to-day. It's a lot of personal and interpersonal outreach towards people. So in a day, I probably take about three or four phone calls, um, citizens of Dallas that have questions for the police department, for myself, for um, our chief. Um, And I try to answer those best I can. I get a lot of questions, you know, if people want to be recruited by recruiters and they didn't see a lot of LGBTQ outreach. Um, they'll call and ask me questions. Um, if I can't answer those questions, of course, I'm going to get them over to the right person. But um, I think it just feels better. Like to me, it just feels better knowing that someone kind of has your back mm-hmm. in the police department. Um, now, of course, I'm a police officer. Those, those are my two big loves. I do love being a police officer. Um, but I also have very strong opinions about the LGBTQ uh, community for and, it. yeah for how to how okay to best I just support. Ma- just making sure <laughs> how to best you know support people and 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 knowing what I know about my history with police knowing what I know about my history with the military um, how I felt and what I needed and how it wasn't there so okay so <laughs> this is a good place to jump back yeah um, you had a history in the military I did. And in the Dallas Police Department, you feel very welcomed and affirmed, and you're in a liaison position. Mm-hmm. You were in the military under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I was. That's when I joined. And wow. I, I joined knowingly, um, so I guess that's how they get you. They stick you, because <laughs> you're joining knowingly. Um, but your willingness and wantingness to serve shouldn't have been stopped by the fact that you had to, I mean, in essence, and I don't think a lot of people understand this, you're, you're signing away a piece of your life when you join the military under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. You're sitting in a room pledging an oath to not participate um, in basic adult activity, which is to meet somebody, to like somebody, to love somebody. To not have to, a social life. Yeah, to just, and not talk about it. I mean, it's okay to them, it was like, it's okay to have a social life. Just don't talk about it. And we all know you come in on Monday morning and the one's the first thing your friend asks you at work, how was your weekend? Right. And for you to be like, oh, it's good every single day. What's wrong with that person? Why don't they have a life? Mm-hmm. Why don't they have a girlfriend? Why don't they have a boyfriend? It's suspicious. Yeah. Questions arise, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not allowed to talk about those questions. And I suppose on a day-to-day uh you know, if you're talking about day to day, there was a lot of people that it didn't really affect um, because they had friends. Um, but like for me, I was an administrative assistant for the Master at Arms program. Um, so I was working with chiefs and master chiefs and everything like that. So if my secret were to have gotten out and I was still under don't ask, don't tell, you know, you're subject to a lot of questions that you don't want to answer to. But a, they're not supposed to ask. No, they're not supposed but to they ask. Did. But they will. They will. Um, once your secret is is out they will ask you mm-hmm. a ton of questions and will they ask even if they suspect yes wow. yes yes and this is you know they they mask it and you're getting in trouble for something and so now we're allowed to ask you these questions uh, so. wow that was never the intent <coughs> no. of the original no compromise don't ask don't tell don't pursue is actually what the policy was. right the don't pursue part got dropped immediately yes but just like like all things, it can be, you, you know, you can use it for good, but you can also use it for evil. So if you don't like somebody, and maybe it didn't have anything to do with the fact that they were, you know, gay or lesbian, but if you didn't like somebody, you could always use that as a way to get them out of your hair mm-hmm. or out of the military in general. And did you, how long did your military career last? Did you last until the policy was 
uh, changed? So I was in in 2008, um, and I was in when it I was that was there the day that it got overturned. Um, what I'm sorry, it got repealed. Um, right. And the weirdest part about that was you would think it was a celebration, but there was still a lot of hesitancy to to let people know because you didn't know if there was going to be some sneaky sneaky way that they were going to you know still take your rights away or if they were going to repeal it but then put rules in place to make you feel a certain way and also it's a deeply personal thing so you you want your friends to know about it but also you know you're not so sure that you want your chief or your senior chief to know what's going on in your personal life either so it's a similar experience in corporate America. Yeah. There may be those words in the human, uh, the, the human relations the, the department, reason, yeah. um, you know, policies, right. but is it real? Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's You're one scared. of the- scared. Yeah. It's scary. And that was one of the things that I know the, the Dallas Police Department has worked very hard at and at DFR, Dallas Fire Rescue, is working at mm-hmm. to try to make it real. Yeah. A real policy of non-discrimination, of equality, of fairness. Mm-hmm in the workplace um, and hopefully, I don't know if you have colleagues who are still in the military um, today, but you know, I wonder how they feel now with the policy gone. Like, you know, like, is there an openness? Is there, is it real? I can tell you that a lot of my friends that are still in, it does seem a lot realer now that it's 2021 that it did back then. Um, and these are people that have been in for a while and plan to stay on until retirement. Um, I can tell you that most of my friends that were transgendered uh, did get out uh, because they they had a fear like you wouldn't believe that something bad was going to happen and or that they would be exposed and or the paramilitary mindset wasn't going to allow people to let them fully be their authentic self. So uh, everyone that I know that was in that was transitioning um, has gotten out. They weren't wow. forced out, but they, they've gotten out just because of the feeling that they had. Wow. And you say not forced out. In a way, it is being forced out if yeah. you're in a position where you don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Because you have to feel safe as a police officer, as a uh, military personnel. You have to feel safe in order to be able to do your job. Uh, I mean, in corporate America, you need to feel safe, too, in order to do your best job. But I guess it's, in a way, easier to mask it. Yeah. All your colleagues are colleagues aren't carrying like weaponry. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think the way I'm looking at it is, when you talk about corporate America, you don't have the type of trust that you need to have in another person. Like if I get in a car with a partner, let's say, and my partner kind of thinks weary of me, this is why they don't choose partners for you, because if your partner's feeling weary of you and you go out to a call. You have no idea whether that person that kind of gave you a, a weird sense is going to have your back. And I turn a corner. I need somebody to turn a corner with me, not be like, well, she'll do it. And then I'll kind of right. follow behind her. If she gets shot, I'll do it. You know, and it's not as simple as that. I'm, I'm dumbing it down. But in the military, it's one of those things that, you know, if you come out in the military and you say, hey, I'm transitioning. And you have your friends that have your back, but your hierarchies don't. It is a scary thing to be out on a boat by yourself with one friend, especially mm-hmm. a friend that's the same rank as you. And so I think not telling them, oh, you can't be in, which at a certain point they got to that, but not that you can't be in, but that we don't support you. And that was very open and honest. They weren't supporting transitioning people. They mm-hmm. were they were saying, we're not going to kick you out, but we're also not going to, you know, like basically like this, this tomfoolery, we're not going to support it, but we're not going to kick you out because we need people. Right. And Wow. And another difference between, a major difference between corporate America and being in the military, prior to the repeal of it, if they found out in the military that you got a dishonorable discharge, that went on your record. Yeah. And so when you go try and get jobs, that follows you. Yes, which is part of the problem with, you know, policing, too. You, you When you go out and you try to get a job, you're answering a ton of questions. And even with me there's a question that was still on a couple of my exams about whether or not I had lied to a government official. And of course, in 2008, I filled out about 14 to 17 pages lying through my teeth that I wasn't gay or that I wasn't going to participate in, in any kind of, um, you know, homosexual activities or they, you know, I wasn't going to participate that. And I signed all of those papers. So every time I would go and take a police exam, it kind of makes you go, 
well, I'm lying. I'm not lying, but I need the job. You know, I, I, well, in the original Micah England case back yes. in 1988, yes. that's where they got her. Mm-hmm. She applied twice, and, and it was on a, uh, a, a lie detector test. Right. So the first time they asked, are you lesbian? She said no. They didn't hire her. She just lied. Mm-hmm. Second time, she, are you lesbian? She said yes. Well, we're not going to hire her because she's lesbian. lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, now, our current chief, when I asked him something about the Micah England case, he looked at you because um, Megan was in this interview that I did. Uh, and, <laughs> and he kind of looked at her like, did this happen? And she said, yeah, that happened just that way. And he went, oh. <laughs> you know, he can't he, believe it. He was horrified. Yeah, that, he can't believe it. And he, is, he was horrified that that would even happen, that people would, would look at you and say, you can't be a police officer because you're a lesbian. He's like, this, you know, the police force is founded on lesbians. <laughs> We've been serving for I don't know how long. Just has to be a secret, you know. And he doesn't understand that because he is such an ally. He's just, you know, he's from I mean, California. It's a little bit. I'm sure he was but. aghast at. I mean, he we was. can tell him stories. I, you know, he we was. have stories. You saw about, his face though. Oh, when his he face was <laughs> precious. He looked at me like. Why are you lying to me about this? Why are you making up stories? No, this happened. You know, and when he realized it did, he assured me that their affirmative action policies Mm -hmm. toward the LGBT community would be continued or at least instituted. Yeah. Because he was just just horrified by that idea, which we all should be. I mean, you don't ask somebody... That kind of he he was horrified that the question was even there. Yeah. Not that they were disqualifying people. That was beyond comprehension. So well, he, well because you know, it's, oh, it's job performance, right? Yeah. It's, it's like what does that have to do with job performance? And you think about it, it's, and you would rather talk about that at work because you know it, it, they say happy life, happy happy wife, happy life, right? You go to work, and if you can't talk about the things at home, if you have no kind of outlet at work, you're going to be a pretty grumpy, miserable person. And so it's like keep it a secret or else. Speaking of grumpy people, Patty, uh, we need to take a break. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Poor Patty. One of Thank my, you. One of my bad segues. <laughs> You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. We're celebrating the return of guests to the studio today, and we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. This is Rollins Gellin, and I'm listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3, and darn glad to be doing it. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis and the late Patty Fink. And our guest is Megan Thomas. She's the new LGBT liaison for Dallas police uh, to the LGBT community here in the city. Um, I want to give out a number or a way to contact you. If somebody has a policing thing that they need to talk to a police officer, and there's lots of distrust in the LGBT community against the police, Megan, you're somebody that uh, is that liaison, somebody that the community can talk to. How should they get in touch with you? We can call the number. I think it's 214. Oh, six. Oh is it the main number at the downtown headquarters? No, they can. They should but you're, call on me web, you're on the website. I am. The, you go to the Dallas website and you go to the LGBTQ liaison, it should have that da- information pulled up for email. But they. I'm, it's going to come to me, guys. Hold on one second. 214-470-4050 is my direct number, so they can call me anytime they want to. Or if they dial 311 and they ask for the LGBTQ liaison um, at the Dallas Police Department, they will get you over They'll to me. switch you over. Okay, yeah. great. Oh, I didn't know that. You could do by 311. Yes. That's awesome. But if you, if you have an emergency, please don't call me. Please call 911. <laughs> first and then you know if you if you need me to show up i will show up but no well, problem let's talk about okay, 911 i, I confirmed the number is it is that right it's 214-671-4050 when i get wrong i got it i got a number wrong i think yeah. say, so, yeah, say it one more time 214-671-4050 yeah and that's at police dallaspolice.net that the, the the website's at yeah i believe that is correct. Yeah, and I'm much better at talking than remembering numbers, guys. I promise. I promise. You can also email her yeah. at megan.thomas at dallascityhall.com. Perfect. Good. Excellent. A lot of people have a hesitancy to call Dallas Police. Um, my experience with Dallas Police is that 
they don't have a problem with the LGBT community in general. On um, Pride Flag Raising Day, what was your experience down at Dallas Police Headquarters? I was excited um, because we, uh, at, so prior to me, uh, there was a great officer, her name was Chelsea Geis. She was the LGBTQ liaison before me. And um, she and Dallas City Hall thought that the Dallas Police Department should raise the flag. And when they brought it up, everybody was very excited about it and excitement like you wouldn't believe uh, for a flag. Um, but the symbolism of it was awesome. Um, so when we heard about it, we put out an email and we said, hey, we're going to be downstairs and be a food truck. We're going to have some entertainment, you know, singing. We're going to raise this flag on June 1, celebrate, you know, uh, gay pride. Come on down. And what we saw was most command staff, uh, a lot of just officers came from other stations and they all came out just to celebrate. And it's busy. I'm I not going to lie. It's busy. I counted 100 officers who were there. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, there would have been more, but some of them were working. Yeah. So that's what I meant by busy. Like, it, it's hard to get, especially if you're working nights, it's hard to come at a certain time during the day. I know when I worked nights, I, I didn't do anything but sleep and go to work. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're going to work or getting off work. So it's really hard to come to events downtown. Um, but the, the building itself, uh, there's a lot of people on call, detectives and things like that, and they can't come out to that. But the response that we got from the people at City Hall and some of the MPOs that came over from other stations was just overwhelming and mm -hmm. the fact that they really wanted to support us. And we got a lot of phone calls and congratulations and, oh, that's mm -hmm. awesome. And, you know, so that felt good. Wish I could be there. Yeah, that felt yeah. good. Oh, and it was a lot of fun. But I counted over 100 officers. That's amazing. Knowing the history with the Micah England case. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> yeah, I mean, that was really my reaction. And some people thought that we told people that they had to come, mm -hmm. like, we, and that wasn't the case at all. It didn't matter. We had people coming to speak, but really what we were going after was um, kind of a uh, social media. We wanted to go on social media live and say, hey, we're raising the flag, but the amount of people that came down, it was so awesome because it was almost like a little party, mm -hmm. you know, instead of just a social media outlet because they started at Dallas uh, Love, uh, Field, Love Field, Love Field and they play. did it on, they did like a, a, a Facebook Live. Um, and they're supposed to come to us. They're supposed to continue, you know, with the, the mm -hmm. media attention. Um, but yeah, that was awesome to me. Mm -hmm. I know, I know, I felt great. We felt awesome about Did it. Did you hear any negative about it? Uh, of course, of course. You're always going to hear why are you. The the main thing you're always going to hear, and that's about everything and anything, is why are you putting so much attention to something when there's so much else going on? And that's to everything. I mean, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, you know. Why are you putting so much attention towards Black Lives Matter if there's so much other things going on? Well, that may be so. There's always going to be things going on. But certain things do a lot for time for attention because they need them. And it's been a long time coming for uh, recognition that, you know, we have served and we have been present in the Dallas police. Um, and to have that recognition come, I think it's something that needed to be celebrated. Um, and if you think there's something else going on, there's always going to be something else going on. Crime doesn't stop <laughs> all day, all night. Um, but we still need to have celebrations and we still need to be recognized that we work for the Dallas Police Department and that we're proud to be there. Great. I think it's really a, what a transition, a transformation, really, from, say, the 80s and early 90s um, to today when our community would see a Dallas police officer and and the uh, feel the fear. The fear was real. Yeah. The adrenaline of oh no, um, because there was so much going on between the police and the and our community. The bar raids were still happening and and all the thing. The writing down of license plates and publishing them in the paper so that everyone knew. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know your employer, your family, everybody knew you had been down on Cedar Springs, regardless of what thing verified your purpose to be uh, okay um, and then all the way Here's to today what I think about publishing license plates they publish the license plate do you even know your own license plate number no i have to look it up i do too so but they published you on the car so sometimes if you drove a company car i guess um you were your your business your employer's business was named in the paper and if but, you really wanted to find out that is public information i, I get that i get that I, i'm just saying 
the idea that this was so threatening that the police department would go out and the uh, Dallas Times, uh, uh, yeah, Dallas the Times, Times Herald, Herald that did this, which is folded our art. Uh, long time yes, ago. But the fact that the newspaper thought that this would be a way to get at people for some reason. And such a great story about that, actually, um, in those days. Um, uh, and she's still alive, uh, former state representative Harriet Earhart, um, and the legendary civil rights icon, um, Juanita Craft. Would go and park in front of the bars and go in the bars and hang and talk to people and support because they wanted their license plates in the paper too. Yeah, and such a such a powerful thing. And Juanita Craft drank buttermilk, so the bars kept fresh buttermilk all the time <laughs> as her, her poison of choice, I guess. Wow. <laughs> but you know, but let's look at those days and then today when we're raising a pride flag with the seal of the city of Dallas on it at police headquarters. Mm -hmm. That's that's an amazing transformation, and I dare say anyone walking in Cedar Springs, which is our entertainment district and historic district, but we are all over the city. When LGBTQ people in this in this city encounter a police officer, it's not that adrenaline. It's maybe an adrenaline of excitement. Hey, it's not that automatic fear and and dread. Yeah, it's think funny it's, you say that good. though. Um, I did. Our chief of police expressed to me that he was walking downtown. I think it, you were on the call with me too. I was it you? Uh, yeah. I uh, was talking downtown with. Um, in uh, on Cedar Springs with Adam Adriano. With Adam Adriano, and you know he was excited to be down there. He's an excited person. Um, so he was excited to be down there, and so he was saying that some of the looks that he had gotten, you know, just being like friendly with people, just kind of the hesitancy to be mm -hmm. friendly back to him because he was wearing his uniform. It's um, his chief's uniform, though. Yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> if you met him, I don't know if you've met I have. Chief. I was on the panel, one of the panels that interviewed him for the job. He's, He's very, a great guy. um, exciting and super personable. Yes. So it's really even hard for me to see anybody, like, being like, oh, you know, he he's bad. He's just so welcoming too and it's it's so i i i'm i'm hoping that those feelings are changing maybe it is the uniform but i can tell you we did go down to um a founding prosperity had a mm -hmm. unity festival uh at the Sheridan marketplace and he showed up in his uh you know just shorts and a shirt um and there were just you know everybody was out and we didn't get any you know, I had on my black shirt. I still had my Dallas badge on and my gun and everything. But we walked through the crowds. We gave out candy, you know, just talked to people. And we didn't get any of that. Like, it was just, it was a wonderful experience just to be able to walk through, you know, awesome. the crowds and have people just have regular conversations with us, too. And I'll some admit, people, I was trying to recruit a little bit. Some people will have a reaction, though. You know, he was wearing his chief's uniform on Cedar Springs. Yeah. And it's not, I don't like you. It's like... Ooh, an important person. I don't know what to yeah. say to him. Yeah. yeah. And that could have been part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And he has such a great record coming from San Jose. He does. Of support, not just support, but active advocacy. Yeah. Like he went out of his way to make sure that his department, as he's doing here, mm -hmm. um, is clear about the, that support yeah. for our community. And I, I love that. That's, that's an amazing thing we've come to in our city, which yeah. is exciting. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was 911. Yes. 911 had a recruiting event yesterday, I believe it was. They did. There's going to be another one next week. Mm -hmm. When and where and because we need good 911 people. They, I have no idea when their recruiting event is going to be. I think it's the 17th. I do know. Um, I do know that they every time we get low on nine one one operators is a huge push. They pull people from all over to get them trained up to go down to nine one one because we don't want to fall back into the same pattern of not having another nine one one. I don't know if people realize, but nine one one is our everything. We get all of our information from nine one one. If those circuits go down, if they're you know less on people, it slows everything down, and we cannot have that happen. The amount of priority ones and priority twos, and by that I mean emergency calls, everybody, you know, just priority one being the most urgent, you know, priority two. Um, if we don't have people answering those calls, especially dispatchers mm -hmm. and 911 call takers, 
um, we can't get out to the calls. If you think you want to be a 911 caller, you really need to think about it. I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago about this, and a friend of mine applied to be a 911 caller in another city. And the third person we were talking about just kind of assumed it was like working at a call center. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you go through all kinds of training and mm-hmm. actually all kinds of testing before you're even accepted. Yes. So it is a very serious job, but I'm assuming maybe a very rewarding job. And you can always go down and, and check it out. Yeah. Go down and listen and see if it's something you do. It's it's. I would say, too, stressful in the fact mm-hmm. that being a police officer is stressful. There's a lot of things going through your mind all at once, and you have to be a great multitasker. Yes. And you also have to be willing and able to listen and hear through somebody's pain mm-hmm. and get the facts out. So that's a hard thing because a lot of people, they're, 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 their best efforts, they're very sympathetic. In fact, very empathetic, and that can lead to a problem if you're trying to get the facts out of somebody yeah. that's crying. On the I'll phone. tell you the 911 caller that I got through to at the time <coughs> that uh, Brian, my husband, had his aneurysm, and I'd been doing CPR for, for about 20 minutes at that time because I couldn't get through. Um, when I did get through, she was fantastic. She said, how long have you been waiting? I said, 20 minutes. She went, <gasps> I just heard this little gasp, but then she caught herself. She was fabulous walking through. She said, uh, ambulance is on its way. Can Mm -hmm. you confirm your address? So she had the address. She wanted to make sure they were going to the right place. Ambulance got there within five minutes. And I, I mean, she stuck with me the whole time. She was calm. She was professional. She was nurturing, Mm -hmm. which she was reassuring. She was everything that I needed. Um, And I've said this on the air several times. I've never met her, but if she's listening, thank you. Um, Everybody needs 911 at some point in their life, whether it's for them or you're calling for somebody else. At some point, you're going to need 911. If you've ever thought of being a, a 911 operator, you would be somebody saving people's lives. Yeah. Very serious job. And I, th- I think probably, um, you know, we talk about police officers and, and firefighters and paramedics as first responders, but really a 911 operator is the real first responder. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, are. Really, they, they are. really are. They, they are. really are. Mm-hmm. And they're taking on so much information all at one time and getting it to the right people. There's a serious amount of people that they have to get the information out to. And over to right because it's fire, it's police, yep. it's paramedics, uh, animal services. Going? How many do we need after that? Uh, where are you at this point? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's that's a lot. It's and I couldn't do it because I'm not a great multi. I can handle about two screens at a time, but ne- never four. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be able to. Um, Oh, I could do it. I, I mean, I have three computer screens in my job, so I can multitask. But I couldn't do it because of the emotion. Yeah, yeah it, you have to be emotionally intact and stay calm, like Davis said. I don't know if I could do that with some of the – I watch all these crime shows. <laughs> and so and they, they play all these 911 calls, real, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, there's no way I could do that. Yeah. But that's so. a, I got a lot of that, you know, especially in, in talking to people on the phone, uh, Dallas citizens that, you know, complain about, you know, 911 being very curt or police officers being very stringent and very strict and now we don't have any personality. And it's not that we don't have personality, but at the moment of crisis, it's not time for my personality. That's right. time to get to work. Professional and sometimes, it, yeah. Kicks in. And sometimes, you know, we get professionalism mixed up with courteousness and, you know, niceties that normal people would be able to, hi, how are you? You know, things like that. I don't, it's not that I couldn't do that, but it's more important to have the, the facts straight and it's more important to get things correct instead of those when the paramedics got there it was like okay he's on the second floor because i ran downstairs to meet the paramedics to bring him up Uh, he's on the second floor they okay Mm -hmm. and just ran up the stairs you know they were so professional um everything was done that could have been done yeah it was the system that didn't work and part of the system is having the right people part of it was also a t-mobile problem that was gumming up the whole system but but that's been corrected um if somebody is interested in being a police officer now that's separate from being a 911 officer um 
I know we're uh, having a terrible shortage of police officers. One of the reasons is some of the suburban departments pay more and people come in, they're trained, and then they leave. And that's been a problem for years. Mm-hmm. But um, if somebody wants to be a police officer, what should they do? Uh, they should contact recruiting. Same website, actually. Um, our recruitment does go out to different cities, different towns, and try to recruit people. Um, but if you're serious and you're thinking about becoming a police officer and you just want to do right along, uh, see what it's all about before any of that happens, uh, same thing. You just contact uh, 311. Uh, they'll get you in touch with your local station, and you can go right out with somebody um, for a day and see if you actually are interested in something that you saw on TV because it's not the same thing at all. Um, it's not like cops? Yeah, it's not no, like cops. No. <laughs> um, so I, I, I suggest and I want more people, even if you're not interested in being a police officer, to go on ride-alongs just so you know what's happening out there. Well, Cops was never really filmed in Dallas. They always filmed over in Fort Worth, so that might be what Fort Worth police are like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what are, what are some of the qualifications you need to be a police officer? Um, you need to be able to pass their physical. Um, there's a written test, a uh, psychological test. Um, you have to go through uh, a background examination, um, and you have, do have to fill out the application online before you even start do you, you have to have a bachelor's degree? Uh, you have to have a certain amount of credit hours, and as we speak right now, I don't know how many credit hours it is, but I believe it's uh, pretty equivalent to an associate's degree. Okay. 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 We need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. We're talking to Megan Thomas. She's the new LGBT liaison for the Dallas Police Department. We'll be back with more right after this. Hi, this is Valetta Lill, and I listen to Lambda Weekly. I hope that you will, too. And welcome back to Lambda Weekly. We're talking to Megan Thomas, the new LGBT liaison for the Dallas Police Department. Now, Patty, for years you did um, training with the Dallas Police yes, Department. Yes, for many, many years. What did you do? The Dallas Police Academy. Um, and I still do that at, at Dallas Fire Rescue. In fact, I have a class coming up there at the end of the month. Um, it's really about basic cultural competency so that police officers are equipped um, to to work with our community, understand our community better, um, be able to serve our community better, and understand our community better, and also for police officers to recognize that their peers and their colleagues um, um, are part of the uh, the LGBTQ community, and to um, to understand and and respond and respect people and just treat them with dignity and, and professionalism. And I think it's really important. Um, it's, it's in the context of a, of a, a maybe, I think it's maybe two weeks of multiculturalism, which I think is really important. It's like get to know the people you're going to serve. Um, and so it's not just our community. We're one of the few communities that comes in from the outside to do some of the training. Um, most um, other classes are done by people within the department, but, you know, the African-American community, the Hispanic, Latino community, uh, even people with disabilities. Um, there are others who come in and teach about the community um, and their community and give perspective and um, basics, basic understandings. Maybe there were things that you could be offending someone without even knowing it, and um, that would be really helpful if you knew um, kind of up front what what things were going to be like and um so i think that's that's really important uh things um especially for officers who are in the classes who um are lgbtq um at least i i hope uh currently that they're we're going over the you know the the benefits and the things that have, have taken place to help employees of the city and all the programs and policy benefits and all of that that are available um, so that they feel very welcome and they understand that as a city, um, the city of Dallas embraces the LGBT community with great welcome. And I think that's really important. Megan, did you participate in a class like this? I did. I took, well, it was the same uh, concept. It was community policing for all different communities. It was a community policing for all different communities. And um, when I was in... uh, the LGBTQ liaison before Chelsea, Amber Roman, mm-hmm. was our mm-hmm. um, speaker. Um, and they do do a very good job of telling about the community. I mean, let's be honest. There's some people, 
and it pains people to know this, but some people live in a rural community where maybe they only have one other black family or one other Hispanic family. Um, and to be honest, more honest about that, that person may be in the same economic status that they are, uh, middle class, lower middle class, and so you kind of have a kinship with them. Um, so going from that to the city of Dallas where you're exposed to um, marginalized communities that you've never stepped foot in and you don't understand some of the... Um, the language you don't understand how why people are acting the way that they do i know that a lot of my classmates uh when we had the african-american community come in uh they were just the simple things like the the talking louder um and equating that to yelling mm -hmm. and then being offended by it right off the bat you know just knowing that some people's houses you're going to go into and there will be a lot of yelling there will be a lot of screaming that's passion and it's love, and it has nothing to do with somebody being angry at you. And you need to know how to do this, um, differentiate the difference between yelling like that and yelling the other way. Um, so that, and then they they spoke, they touched on um, LGBTQ community itself. Um, what I'm hoping for is to bring a little bit more expertise from the different genres of our community because we're so big. Uh, it's it, so diverse and yeah, intersectional. It's, it's it's hard to, it'd be one thing if I could just go in and speak on behalf of our community, but they're just being a, a lesbian woman. I don't know the nuances of what a gay man goes through, what a, what a transsex, uh, transgender person goes through. I don't know um, that in my heart and my core, right? So mm -hmm. I'm hoping to bring in <laughs> not only um, people that are like myself, but also um, other things that I don't understand so they can explain to the classes um, so that's what I'm working on right now, actually, is getting a little army behind me to go in and uh, help people understand our community a little bit better. Is this training ongoing? Yes, it happens every class. No, beyond classes, though. Once Is there in-service training? Well, there is in-service training uh, that happens with the communities. Um, I didn't have it because of COVID, uh, so I don't know how mm. that is facilitated. Uh, but I do know that we have community training, um, and also I my initiative for the year was to start a community board um, but how it's panning out is I may be starting a, um, a council where uh, people from inside of DPD um, can come forward and we can help do more outreach in the community um, to I don't know drum up different ideas from our community like you said it's very diverse right Patty so mm -hmm. we need more people to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. Um, also, our community used to be more centrally located in Oak Lawn, and mm -hmm. I, I mean we're everywhere in the city now. Yeah. Uh, so it's harder to harder to find us in a way. It's it's interesting to me to see um, recruits both from police and DFR um, kick in and realize that we're not all in Oak Lawn. It's it's an amazing thing, especially for people who grew up in Dallas. Um, and don't have a lot of contact with the, the queer community. Mm -hmm. And um, because, you know, like I just look at my neighborhood and there's like 40 families just in my couple of blocks around me, at least 40 LGBTQ families. And um, I think if people look and they're open to it and they, they'll, they'll see us everywhere. Yeah. We're really everywhere. Mm -hmm. Do you live in Oakland? No, I do not. See, you don't. I, I, do not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't either. I do, and my building isn't even half gay. <laughs> it isn't. That, that's kind of part of the problem, too. We, as, and this is just my opinion, but as gay folks, we got to this point where we just want to blend. Like, we just want to blend. We just want to be. We want to have our families. We want to get our houses. And so you don't necessarily, at this day and age, want to wave the pride flag everywhere you go and, and, and have that be out there. But at the same time, it's so necessary. It's still so necessary that people know that, hey, we're not all in Cedar Springs. We're scattered amongst mm -hmm. the people. Like, you know, at our house, we had our pride flag, you know, out in front of our house. And you're the only ones on, the, on our block. But then I could get mad because we're literally the only people on our block that have a, a flag. <laughs> like, we have our American <laughs> flag out there now. And I'm looking, I was like, hmm, we're the only ones that have our pride flag out. And I looked on the block and I'm like, Nobody even has a flag out. Like, I'm the only one that has an American flag out right now. Um, so it's it's one of those things that it's still necessary. And, it, it you know, when I was asked about getting 
more um, police activity, you know, because Chicago had the six officers part of their LGBTQ outreach. They're all coming together now, and a lot of other cities are doing the same thing. They have more help. So it's not just about being a liaison. It's about a community itself. Um, and when I really pressed on wanting to have more officers help, they were like, you know, you can have more officers help, but I can't, you know, force them to come out. I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. out anybody. Absolutely right. not. But it is necessary to me to see the vibrancy, to see the diversity in our community throughout DPD so that other people that are out there aren't feeling like, well, there's no gay officers in DPD because how would you know? Or that somebody needs to call the gay officer. Yeah, like, you know, how <laughs> right. would you even know? Like, unless you're, unless you're actually friends with somebody, how would you even know? Because I even got a couple emails, a lot of phone calls, you know, that I was holding, what did they call it, holding off us? Like, they didn't know that I was gay. And so, you know, it's my pleasure. Like, yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people just assume by the way you look, they still do. Even in our community, they assume by the way that you look that you're one way or the other. And so it's hard not to have visible representation of our community inside of DPD. And that's what I'd really like to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's going to happen, guys. I don't know right. if people are comfortable with it if they want to. And even if they're comfortable with it, if they want to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying but that's what I'd really like to happen. Well, you know, you just ping at it and ping at it and ping Keep at it. Keep on ping. Well, Keep in the police department, they probably blend like I do. Right, <laughs> right. You, you'd <laughs> be surprised. Look who's saying, wow, Josh, who really blends. You'd be surprised. <laughs> You would be surprised. There are some, there are some folks that you would have no idea unless you talk to their partner or them that they were gay or lesbian. Trans, you know, we had some uh, transgender folks that the community doesn't even know about. I know, but you don't even really think about it. And in the police department. Yes. Talking about blending. So I'm in the middle of moving. And it was one drawer that I just hadn't opened. There's several that I just hadn't opened since Brian died. I found his glitter drawer. Oh. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. All over the place. Oh, I bet. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It took some major major vacuuming. But yes, when the glitter ran out, he would replace it. (laughs) When the glitter ran out, like, (laughs) I don't have a dispenser of glitter. (laughs) It needs a refill. I would fill our entire house with glitter if I had the opportunity. Everything. Oh yeah. And you know it 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 my it it propagates. It it's you know yeah, has offspring. Your, your hair, mm-hmm. And then it gets in the cracks of your your wood, and then you mm-hmm. find it one day, and you're like, oh, there's glitter. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, before we run out of time, I want to uh, talk just a little bit about this new Safe Place program. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that is. Uh, it is a program that started in Seattle, Washington, and it is a safeguard for the community members and businesses to safeguard people from hate crimes, uh, all crimes, but in particular hate crimes. Um, so if you are a business in Dallas um, that wants to um, be a part of our program, you literally only have two steps. You um, tell your employees about it. Um, you let them know that if a person is coming in that's reporting a crime or if you witness a crime, you call 911 immediately. Um, and you are then our witness. Um, and that's what we need in the city of Dallas. We need more credible witnesses. So the businesses are there to um, shield that person from harm. Uh, so you're allowing that person to stay on premise until the police arrive. Uh, those are the only two things that the businesses are opting to do for us. Um, but it does give us the opportunity to have what I call credible witnesses. Those are those people that can point out what a victim's wearing, um, what a, what we call a comp, what a victim's wearing, what a uh, suspect is wearing, what direction they came from, maybe a car, maybe anything. Because it's one thing to have cameras, but to have that person point out that a car was not not red in a camera, it was maroon and you saw a little scratch on the side, or the lady didn't seem that upset, but she came in and calmly passed me this note. You know, those credible witnesses, those those things that you say to us mean a lot. And so if we can have more businesses sign up for the Safe Place program, that would be great. Um, it is really necessary to um, get more um, data for the FBI for hate crimes um, in the city of Dallas. Uh, we don't have that much data on hate crimes, um, especially last year, 2019, we, we were only reporting at two, and that's not a thing. Wow. That's not mm-hmm. happening, guys. It's that Hate crimes are happening. They're just not being reported um, as they should be. 
Um, so you can report it to the Dallas Police Department, you can report it to the FBI. Uh, however, these things are not not happening. They're just not getting reported. So that's what the Safe Place program does. It makes it easier for a person to find a um, a safe haven until police arrive. And they find it with a little sticker that you put on your door. Yes, it is so. a beautiful rainbow sticker. That's a safe place on it. You put it in the front window. Um, and that alerts people that the Safe Place program is happening at this business. Right, And but if somebody is just held up or mugged or, or whatever, yes. uh, a Safe Place business should also be there uh, that you can go in safely and uh, uh, call 911 and wait till police come. Yeah, and I, I say this a lot to people because I, I don't know what it is about people, but everyone assumes that people have cell phones. Um, I've been on quite a few calls where a person has come out of their apartment, they don't have a cell phone or a cell phone that works, so the only thing that that cell phone would do would be to call 911 for them, um, but it doesn't work. And so that cell phone got taken away by the suspect or whoever was in the house, and they've run downstairs, and they don't know where to go. Let's say their leasing office is closed and the only store they have, and that store doesn't want to be bothered with somebody with no shoes and a ripped shirt coming through the door. Mm -hmm. um, and this is giving businesses the opportunity to stand with us because we need help. The Dallas Police Department needs help. We need you to help us help you. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to go to an area where we thought a crime had occurred, um, but when we get there and we can't find anybody, that does no good for anybody. So we need a place. I'm at 7-Eleven on Lemon Avenue to go to to meet with this comp and or a person that may have seen anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the, the major things. We've had a lot of um, serious crimes even that have happened in the past, and yet we have no witnesses. Yeah. There's no evidence. Um, sometimes the, the, the complainant, the, the victim of the crime, won't even make a statement. Yeah. Um, or press a char press charges, and so you're really you're, your hands are really tied as as police officers because you don't have what it what the law requires mm -hmm. to take action, yeah. and so I, that's a real problem. So this is great so that people can step into a business, um, wait for a police officer um, or an ambulance or, or whatever they may need, yep. um, and and have that kind of cooperation. It, and it's also awesome. a business that um, you know normally. They wouldn't think about what's their relationship with the police. Hey, this is something that you can do for the police. Yeah. So it's just a way to help. Megan, we are out of time. I want to thank you for being with us. Thank yeah. you so this much. This has been great. Come I'm, back. Please again. come back. Yeah. Again and again. This is so much fun, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. And for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week and be best.